you for being here this morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's bow our heads, if you would, and let's pray before we read our text and get into our study this morning. Father, we thank you that we have a copy of your word in front of us, and we know that it is your word. It is truth forever. It is settled in heaven. Father, I stand before you this morning, and I ask that you would permit me to be faithful to your text. I pray today, Father, for clarity in explaining the Word of God. I pray that the authority of your Word would grip us, would change us, would hold us in its power over any personal experience there is, God. I pray that we would teach your Word with passion, that we would teach from our heart, not from our head. I pray for wisdom, Father, to know what to do with your word. We pray for humility. We realize that the preaching of the word of God is not about us. It's about Jesus and exalting him. And Father, I pray for liberty of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. May the Spirit of God guide us into all truth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 21, part 3 of the challenge of the resurrection. John chapter 21. The resurrection is not only a celebration, church, but it is a challenge. If you study all four Gospels and you read each account that these men gave, the resurrection was nothing like what we celebrated Easter it was a challenge to these believers and it's a challenge to us and so today I feel this is probably the most important lesson that we can learn from the resurrection and that is moving past failure it's almost like one of those places in our life that we can't get past I just can't get past this so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, moving past failure, moving past failure. John 21, let's start reading with verse 15. Now this is the same day that we talked about last Sunday, we're the same day now, okay? It's still morning and nothing has changed except now the boat has been docked, the fish have been dragged on shore. And you'll see in verse 15 what it says. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, You feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, You feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, we are told of a gentle rebuke by Jesus to Simon. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. The metaphor for sifting as wheat carries the, the idea of breaking a person down. Shaking up the life in order to reveal all the mistakes and all of the failures that are in that person's life. Satan not only wanted to wreck Peter's faith, and not only did he want to wreck the disciples' faith, but Satan wants to wreck your faith too. And this is how he does it. Satan will wreck your faith by fixating on your failures. And here's the good news of the gospel. It's twofold. Number one, sinners are forgiven. That's the glorious message of the gospel. Sinners are forgiven. But here's the second glorious good news of the gospel. Sinners are restored. You see, Satan's diabolical plan involves countering the gospel with deceptive lives. When it comes to leading a Christian life that merits, merits us being used by God and being happy, and I use that very, very cautiously, Satan speaks the lie that our failures have somehow disqualified us. And number one, God doesn't love us anymore because we failed. And number two, God can't use us because we failed. Here's the setting in John chapter 21, verse 12. If you're looking at your Bibles... Look what it says in verse number 12 of John 21. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And so here's the setting. The invitation meant more than just eating. But rather a necessary encounter. The scene intended for all the apostles. In verses 15 through 19. But especially it was staged for Peter. Number one, Peter must be relieved of this enormous weight of guilt that he was carrying. He had failed the Lord miserably. Jesus needed to get a hold of Peter. The second thing, Peter must be honest about a, a deeper sin that was there, and that was the sin of impulsiveness. This, this arrogance, this self-confidence that Peter had. It went a lot deeper than him just denying the Lord three times. It went even more deep and that was that character flaw of impulsiveness he's the one that drew the sword and cut the guy's ear off and Jesus said put your sword up we don't do the kingdom of God that way impulsiveness and then the third reason for this encounter is and I love this Jesus was not done with Peter yet 
So Peter had made an impulsive, self-confident declaration. I want you to turn with me in Matthew 26, if you would. Let's turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 30. I want you to note this very impulsive, self-confident declaration that Peter makes. Starting in verse 30 down to verse 35. Look at this. Matthew 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Notice Peter's impulsiveness and self-confidence in verse 33. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Look at me real quick before we finish our text. How many of you have been the victim of never saying never? Anybody ever been there? I'm going to tell you a little story about your pastor. My first church experience was boot camp for ministry. I'd gotten a phone call from a little church that was just down the highway and they wanted me to come preach. And the morning that me and my wife drove up in the parking lot, I made this statement. I will preach today, but I will never pastor some little bodunk church again. I was very angry and hurt, still had that fresh wound from this, this prior church. Five years later, over a hundred percent vote, I learned to never say never. That's where I was called to Fort Stockton from that little church. So look with me now in our text. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And look what Jesus, very, very unimpressed with this. He said, truly I tell you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Look at Peter. He didn't even hear what Jesus said. Look what he said in verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And of course, all the disciples said the same thing. Oh no, we're not going to deny you either. So Jesus is not impressed in the slightest. Tells Peter, you're going to deny me before the cock crows or the rooster crows. Before Jesus left the high priest's palace, Peter had done exactly what he said he wouldn't do. When it came to Peter cashing in on his commitment, guess what? Peter came up bankrupt. And he denied just like Jesus said. That moment, that moment. Look with me in the book of Luke, if you would. Let's turn over to Luke 22. Luke 22. I want you to see this. We're painting a picture. Luke chapter 22. I want you to look at this. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start reading with verse 61. I know that you'll be able to identify with this because I did. Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 60. Let's start reading there. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately 
while he was still speaking. The denial had not even got out of his mouth. And the rooster crowed. Get what verse 61 says. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said, Before the roaster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You're back in John. Peter had denied Jesus, and now he is deflecting on his calling. He's deflecting on his calling. Did you note what the Bible said in verse number 2 of chapter 21? Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Defaulting on his call. Peter resorts to this familiar pattern of life. But I want you to notice this. God shut the door because he didn't want Peter fishing. Look what the Bible said in verse number 3 of chapter 21. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. God shut the door. If Peter catches fish, he's stuck in failure. He'll never get past his failure if he catches fish. So God shuts the door and makes sure he catches no fish. And so we learn in verse 15 that Peter must move past his failure. And how does he do this? He has an encounter with Jesus. Now I want you to note the context, the premise of the context of John 21. Peter is restored to full fellowship with Jesus. Commissioned for great service and told of his cross which he must bear. And every bit of this is predicated on one question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Now here's our study in a sentence. Where's my Bible college students? Let me see your hands. Here's your study in a sentence. My calling can and will become challenging. There's our word. In proportion to my failures. Restoration is possible, which is predicated on how much I love the living Jesus. Here's our thesis, and we're going to get into our study. There's three vital steps that we need to take to move past failure. Step number one, if you're taking notes, you have to make an honest assessment. Peter had to make an honest assessment. Get this statement. There's a whole lot of Simon still in Peter did you know what the Bible said in verse 15 look with me Simon son of John Jesus didn't call him Peter he called him by the name by which he went by when Jesus found him before he was saved he said Simon there's a whole lot of Simon in that new Peter Nobody ever really wants to be reminded of who they used to be. Nobody really wants to ever go back and be the person that you used to be. And here's what Jesus is doing in verse 15. Peter, do you remember your human weakness? Do you remember, Peter, what you were like before I met you? You see, Jesus did know whether Peter loved him or not. And Jesus wanted to make sure Peter knew how much he loved Jesus. He said he did. He said he loved Jesus. But his actions spoke louder than his words. Denial is a terrible way to express your love to somebody. 
And Peter sits in silence here in verses 15, 16, down to verse 19. And this is the first time in this whole resurrection episode that Peter opens his mouth right here. It's the first time Peter ever speaks. Sitting in silence, here's a man that never was short of words, y'all. He's sitting in silence. Why is he sitting in silence? Let me give you some reasons. First of all, the shame and the guilt had never been more real than it was at that very moment. You know why? It was the second look Peter got from Jesus. He got the first look, but now he's getting the second look. And the guilt and the shame was never more real. Peter didn't know where he stood with Jesus right now. He didn't know where he was with the Savior. And he sits in silence. And Peter had already met with Jesus in Luke 24, verse 34. And maybe Peter's sitting here waiting for the follow-up from what they talked about. Peter's blinded by selfish doubt. And now he sits in a revealing encounter. You see, it's one thing to be convicted of your sin. It's one thing to be convicted over seeing your sin, but it's another thing to be convicted over seeing Jesus face to face. Here's our lesson. Here's our lesson. Humbled by our humanness is the greatest antidote for moving past failure. I am honest about myself, embracing my limitations, which will lead me to being less than what Jesus has called me to be. That takes us to step number two. I need to make an honest assessment. But step number two, I have to make an honest confession. Now here's where I really want you to press in. Are y'all tracking this morning? I want you to really press in on this because it kind of gets confusing, but I don't want it to get confusing to you. So it's going to be up on here on the screen, okay? Here's my second step. Not only do I need to make an honest assessment, there's a whole lot of Simon still in Peter. Can I tell you something? Whether you realize it or not, there's a whole lot of the old you still in the new you. And until you realize that, you'll never get past your failure. And here's the second step. Honest confession. You see, Peter's love had no credibility based on his actions. And we find that in verse 15 down through verse 17. He could not bring himself to profess a full love for Jesus. This is what Peter's saying in essence before we break this down. I want you to get this because all these years that I've been, that I've been preaching John 21, I finally understood what this conversation was and I want you to get it. Listen very carefully. This is what Peter's saying. Lord... I have an affection for you. I can't say I love you, Lord, not after what I've done. See, Peter's illusion of himself vanished quick at the end of each question. This illusion that he had of himself, Lord, I will never leave you. If I have to, I will die if I have to. And then when Jesus looks at him and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I can't tell you I love you because I don't love you like I said I love you because for what I did to you, I don't love you like I said I love you. So this illusion that Peter had, and let me say something to you. So many of us have this illusion of ourselves when it comes to our faith. And this illusion, after each question, Jesus reduces Peter to a man he can use. 
Let's look at the questions. Here's the first one. When they had finished breakfast, you notice to highlight the different colors. Mark it in your Bible. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. That would get your attention, would it not? You know what, you know what Jesus is saying right there? You're acting like the old Simon, Peter. You're acting like you did when I found you. Look what he said. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I want you to underline that in your text, please. These. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, you feed my lambs. You see that word these there? It's followed by a word more in the Greek. Now, it's, it's, it's opposite in English, but flip it. And this is what it says. Do you love me? These more. Do you love me? You see these? Do you love me more? It's a very interesting play on words because he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me, Peter? Because you said in Matthew 26 that you love me enough that you would die for me. Do you love me more than these? Is what he's saying. Peter avoids the comparison. Did you note that in the text? Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? And Peter denies the comparison. And why is that? Because what would it do? It would tell Jesus, Peter's not changed one bit. He's still impulsive, still self-confidence. This is what Peter says. Jesus, I'm fond of you. I don't love you as much as I thought I did. He had failed, and now in this verse 15, he owns it. He owns what he's done. Peter's actions has shown a very shallow love. You see the word there in verse 15 for feed, bosk. It's in a present active imperative. And this is what Jesus is saying to him. Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, I don't love you as much as I thought you loved me. And Jesus looks at him and says, you keep on doing what I've called you to do then. That word there in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the present active imperative means you just keep on feeding those lambs. You see, the verb was a responsibility. It was what the herdsmen did. They were continually tending to the lambs. Keep feeding my little ones is what Jesus is saying. So Peter's confession in verse 15 has led to his restoration. Jesus said, listen, I know you don't love me as much as you say you love me, and that's why I'm not done with you yet. Keep feeding my lambs. This brings us to the second question. Look what he says here. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Who can tell me real quick what word's missing in that question? These. They're go it's gone now. We're past that. Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus is asking a different question here now. Peter would have to understand what Jesus was asking and this would lead to him answering it the right way. He better answer this question the right way. This is the question. You see that word there for love that Jesus uses. Do you love me? Agapeo. This is a deep, sacrificing love. And it has its source in God. And this is what Jesus is saying. Do you love me this deep, Peter? 
And Peter turns around and uses a word for love, and it is phileo, and it is a fondness. It is a love of just brotherly affection. It's like, I like you being fond of you. So Jesus said, hey, do you love me this deep, Peter? And Peter said, my love doesn't even go that deep, Lord, because of what I've done. Peter, again, is honest, and Peter did not upgrade his answer. I want you to notice that in the text. Look at this. Peter nowhere upgrades his answer, but he answers it based on the honesty. You see, the problem with church people are they don't want to be honest with themselves. And before God can use you, you've got to get honest with God because God knows. God knows. God knows. But God wants to know if you know. And I don't think we do. Look what he said here. Tend my sheep. This is a great word. Poimain. This is where we get the word shepherd. This is where, look at me church, this is where we get the word pastor from. When you say Pastor Scott, you ought to just say it in the Greek. Poimain. You're the shepherd. Really the under shepherd is what it means. You're just a little shepherd under the big shepherd is what Jesus is saying. Peter, you're just an under shepherd. Poimain. You're just a shepherd. But I need you to tend my sheep. It's the highest responsibility that is ever given to an individual. I'm going to tell you something right now. It is an honorable position to tend God's sheep. Jesus tested Peter. And he said, listen, I'm not reducing you because you failed. I'm not reducing you because you failed. Listen, God doesn't want you just to sit because you failed. He said, I'm going to put you in the highest position this is a very important question that Peter must ask, I mean answer. This, is, this word here for poimain, it's a very interesting word. It's in a present active imperative. It's a continuous word. Continue feeding, continue shepherding Peter. You know what he's saying? Just because you're down, you're not out. I need you to keep going. Listen, the devil would rather sideline you in your failures. Jesus said, listen, own it and let's go forward. Moving past failure. Jesus used the word agapeo while Peter said phileo and the question determines, is Peter really ready for greater responsibility? And he is. Now let's go to the third question. And he said to him the third time. Now some of the commentators say, well, you know, he did three questions for the three denials. I'm not seeing that. That's a far stretch of interpretation here. I think what Jesus is doing is asking three different questions here. You've got to understand this. The first one is based off of his impulsive con con confession in Matthew. Do you love me more than these? Because you said you did, but you don't act like you do. Is what I mean, that's pretty... Listen, Jesus would not be a very popular preacher in our day. But then the second question, he's like, do you love me? Let's see if you're ready for more responsibility. Peter said, Lord, I don't love you that deep. But look at this third question. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agapeo? No, that's not what he's saying now. Look what he says. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now here's, where, here's, the, here's the important part of this text. Not love this time. Look what he says. And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. I mean, Peter's about had it with the questions. 
You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So the third question demonstrates honesty and humility. Get this. You see that word grieved there? It's an aorist passive form of a, of, a, of a verb in the Greek. And it means I grieve. It's a, such a degree of grief. It describes a woman in sorrow giving birth. Get this. Don't miss this. Childbirth takes a woman to the what? Point of death. And Peter uses the word. And you know what he's saying to the Lord? Lord, I'm dying to self now. You know this, Lord. I'm dying to self. It's no longer now a matter of do you love me? It's will you die to your impulsiveness? Will you die to your self-conceitedness, Peter? And Peter said, I'm grieved. I'm dead. You see, God will never use you until you come to an end of yourself and live to somebody greater than you. Now get this. Get this. John 21 verse 17 Peter uses two different kinds of words for no don't miss this the first one is this it's an innate knowledge in other words he said Lord you are omnis- You're omniscient Lord you know I love you. you why are you asking me these questions but then the second one gnosko in the Greek you know what he's saying Lord based off our encounter right now you know where I'm sitting with you You know whether I love you or not because you're an omniscient God. But now that you and I have been sitting by this second fire into Peter's life. See, he sat before, listen, he sat before a a fire one time and he denied the Lord. Now he's sitting, what, next to another fire and now he's being restored by the Lord. And he said, Lord, you're omniscient. You know everything. But you know, now that you and I have been sitting here, you know where my heart is with you. You know, what, you know what Jesus said? Jesus doesn't use agape. You, oh, he uses phileo. He said, I know you don't love me as much as you say you did. Will, will, will you be honest? Honesty. Honesty. Can I read it to you how it really sounds? Listen to this. Lord, thou knowest all things by your nature. You're omniscient. Thou knowest by your experience now that I'm just fond of you and I don't love you as deep as I thought I did. So here's our lesson. Honest confession leads to greater responsibility to be used by Jesus. Moving past failure is moving progressively in the direction of serving Jesus. Now here's our third step. We have to have an honest assessment. We have to answer the honest questions. Do we not? How about this? We have to have an honest surrender. I think God's kind of fed up with this pseudo-hypocritical surrender that we kind of give Him. I want you to get this in verse number 18. This is a great verse. And I want you to see what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You could do whatever you wanted to do. You lived a life of no limits, is what he's saying. But now that you're walking with me, life now becomes that of what? Boundaries and limits. See, God's people who serve God can't just do whatever they want to do like they did when they were lost. 
And that's what he's saying right there. He's like, listen, you used to be able to do whatever you wanted to do, go everywhere you wanted to go, and, and you had no limits on life. But when you, when you decided to follow me, Peter, you were you what you had limits put on your life now you don't get to do and act and, and be whoever you want to be why is it that we think as God's people that we can be saved and do whatever we want to do and, and the rules don't apply to us because oh we're under grace what Jesus saying he said you used to be able to do whatever you wanted to do Peter but look what he said. You're looking at your Bibles. But, but, divine conjunction, but, Peter, you're the one that left the nets. You're the one that left the boat. You're the one that has followed me for three and a half years. But, look what he said in verse 15, I mean, verse 17, I mean, verse 18, sorry. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Do you realize, look at me just a minute, church. Look at me, loved ones. Do you realize, John, by the time he wrote this gospel, Peter had been dead for 20 years. One writer said John wanted to add this to the gospel. He should have stopped with, with chapter 20, but he wanted to put in there chapter 21 to let the world know that his good friend Peter had been forgiven and restored and did and he did and he did die for the Lord after he had been restored did you catch what Peter said in chapter 26 of Matthew I'll die for you Lord if it comes down to it and he did he did but first Jesus had to reduce him down to this man he could use Do you know how many of us are sitting in this chapter? Do you know how many of us are sitting by this fire? Man, when I studied this this week, I thought, Lord, you know how many times I've sat by that fire and had you look at me and question my commitment to you? Do you understand that, church? That just because you fail doesn't mean God's done with you. He wants you to own it, man. Listen now. Peter was crucified, listen to this, under Nero's circus in A.D. 67. Nero was one of the most ruthless Roman uh, rulers there was. When Christians used to die under his rule, he would fiddle while they were dying and fiddle. Yeah. And Peter in A.D. 67 was crucified like his Lord but he said oh I'm not worthy to be crucified upright so they flipped him around upside down and crucified him because he, he was not worthy to die like his Lord was and in Nero, in, his, in Nero circus and Nero fiddling while Peter's dying 20 years later John writes and said listen although my friend failed Jesus Jesus never failed him and I heard him say I'll die and I'll I heard him when he did die. Self-denial is to renounce self-righteousness. Self-denial is to renounce your pride. Self-denial is to renounce sin. Self-denial is to accept whatever and wherever Jesus takes you. You know ministry will take you wherever Jesus wants it to take you. It's just true. Christian self-denial. Listen, look at me, church. And we're no different than Peter. 
Every commit you're looking at, I don't have my glasses on, but I want you to look at me. Every commission has a cross. Do you understand that? Every commission, every call that God gives has a cross attached to it. He said, Peter, you know this is the second time God, Jesus has called Peter. Remember back in Matthew 4? There was Peter and there was John and there was James sitting on the Sea of Galilee. What were they doing? They were mending their nets. And Jesus said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus, listen, Peter knew when Jesus said, follow me, he knew exactly. It took him back to Matthew 4. And listen, Jesus for the second time said, listen, Peter, I really don't need a fisher anymore. I need a shepherd. I don't need you fishing. That's why I didn't let you catch any fish. Every fire you sit now beside will be the fire I build not what not what the world builds every you know what Jesus is saying to these men I'm going to sustain you I'm going to make sure you have what you need it's me that's going to what what take care of you I need you to do what feed my sheep tend to my sheep do what I've called you to do follow me and I'll build the fires I'll supply the need I'll make sure you're okay just follow me let's do our takeaway and we're going here it is. Number one, I must understand that I'm a work in progress. Come on, church. That's a great place for an amen. I am a work in progress. There's a whole lot of the old me still in the new me. He's still working on me, making me what I ought to used to be, what I need to be. That's the first takeaway. Here's the second one. If Jesus is going to use me, he has to reduce me. There's, there's no way around it. He has to reduce me. Here's the third one. Jesus isn't done with me despite my failures. He's not done with you. You might be sitting in this church and thinking, man, God can't do nothing with me. Are you kidding me? That's just what Satan wants you to believe, that God is done with you. But he's not. He's just waiting for you to own it. Can I tell you something? And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of times in my life I don't love Jesus as much as I say I do. And he knows that. He just wants me to know it. My actions don't speak the same as my words. Yeah. It's easy for you to go around and say, oh, yes, I love the Lord. Really? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What a look. You ever got the look from God? It ain't pleasant. Here's the, here's the next one. Every commission comes with a cross. I must do what I'm called to do, even if it means I've got to go where I don't want to go. You hear, did you catch what Jesus said in verse 18? Peter, somebody's going to dress you and carry you to a place you don't want to go. You say, I really don't want to go there. And that's exactly where Jesus is going to send you. I really don't want to talk to that person and that's the very person Jesus is going to send you to. And here's the last one. Jesus is the ultimate motivation for service. Here's the question every person has got to answer this morning. Do you love me? Do you, church? Do you love him like you say you love him? I want you to really think hard before you blurt out, yes, I do. Because I guarantee you don't. 
do you love me that's a motivation to keep coming to church do I love him that's a motivation to pick your Bible up every day and read it do I love him that's a motivation to pray every day do I love him that's a motivation to tell others about Jesus do I love him what a motivation to be a man of God to your wife man do I love him what a, what a motivation ma'am to be a godly woman in that home do I love him do you our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning I don't know where you're at with God maybe you're like Peter you're sitting here trying to figure out yourself where you're at with God maybe you don't know where you're at maybe you failed him and you're believing the lie of Satan can't do nothing with you you failed you're done sit and wait no if you're here this morning and you're sitting in this church and you have felt the Holy Spirit of God call in the question your commitment maybe you need to come up here at this altar and humble yourself before Christ and own it and say Lord I don't love you as much as I thought I loved you and can I tell you something? If you have failed this morning, Jesus is not done with you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be up here if you need prayer. There's others in this church. But I beg you, church, why don't you answer that question? Do you really love Him? Do you really love Him? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this invitation. In Christ's name, amen. There's a